Well, the first thing we're going to look at is the necessity of baptism. The necessity of baptism, and you've got a lot of verbiage there, but it's whittled down to these two statements. Baptism is a serious issue. And baptism is a significant issue. It is a very serious issue because there are many believers who have lost their lives over this issue. Many blood, much blood has been spilt over baptism. It is a serious issue because from the early days of the church until now, Christ-centered, Bible-believing people have fallen on opposite sides here. It is a serious issue most of all because if you look in the book of Matthew, every single Gospel records the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus at the end of Matthew says, Go therefore, He begins with this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. That's Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth. All of it. That's the idea of that, that, that chasm there. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's got the authority, and He gave us an assignment. Make disciples. How do you do that? You baptize them, and you teach them. And He gave us a promise. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a serious issue. It bookends the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus, you see, in Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, Himself was baptized. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by Him. John would have prevented Him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to Me? But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then He consented. And when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Baptism is a serious issue. Jesus modeled it for us, and Jesus commanded it of us. Next, baptism is a significant issue. Baptism is important, here's the logic, because Jesus' death and resurrection is important. I would argue that Christ's death and resurrection is the most important event that happened in all of history. Take everything away, and I'm not here to just be a minimalist, you'll see that here in a second, but if you, that is the most important thing in history, and it's the most important thing in your life. Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins and He rose again to offer us forgiveness to all who would believe in Him. They could be with Him forever. It is the most important event in history. And guess what? Baptism is a picture. It's a picture. Pictures of grace. It is a picture of that event. Illustration? Marriage is an important issue. It is being debated it is being challenged in our government and throughout this country. But it's an important issue. Marriage is a picture, pictures of grace, it is a picture 
of Christ and the church. Christ the bride, the church the bridegroom. Or no, rephrase that. Delete that off the tape. Christ is the bridegroom, the church is the bride. They come together. So when a man and a woman come together, it's picturing Christ and the church. Very significant. In the same way, baptism is a picture of your death with Christ and your rising to walk in newness of life. The fact number three there, if you're looking that we've gotten away from this, is a very as a serious and significant event, shows that we have become minimalist in the word. There are many baptized unbelievers in the world today. They did not know what they were doing. They walked an aisle. They did it because they were caught up in the emotion of it, or somebody told them to do it, and now they're baptized and they're confused, thinking, "I have been baptized. I am going to heaven," and they have no more belief in Jesus Christ than atheists. But, on the other hand, there are many unbaptized believers. There are many unbaptized believers. Some of you are saying, wait. Yes, because our belief in Jesus Christ is not uh, predicated on whether we've been baptized or not. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not faith plus baptism, but through faith. Not of works, lest nobody should boast. Grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. But there are many unbaptized believers, and it's not an issue of their salvation, it's an issue of their obedience. We have failed to carry this out because it's been abused. The idea, the the beauty of baptism, the beauty of what it represents, of what it signifies has been abused. And it's left, left the issue very confusing for many, many people. Should I be baptized? Do I need to be baptized? Well, I got baptized. And... But because it's been abused and it is confusing, doesn't mean we give it up. It means we get it right. And today, what I want to do is show you, and here's you'll know where the elders of Eagle Bible Church stand, a positive view for believers' baptism. And along the way where we need to discuss it, we will talk about infant baptism or we won't talk about it if it's not in the Scriptures. We believe believer's baptism to be the most accurate view in Scripture. And that is Eagle Bible Church. That's our logo. Something's happened. The last slide there will show you that we're going to walk through about five things. We're going to start with the Bible. We're going to look at theology. Then we're going to look at That theology played out in history. We're going to look at some controversies. And then we're going to look at what does it mean for EBC. The nature of baptism in your handouts says we begin with the Bible. Let's just begin with the word, baptism. What does it mean? A collective definition of two separate Greek dictionaries tells us it is to dip or immerse or submerge. And it's used roughly over 100 times in the New Testament. To dip, immerse, which I had a baptismal right now, I would be showing you some illustrations of what that means, or submerge. Yes, there is a second and a third definition that means to identify with, and that's, that's significant, or to be overwhelmed by, and that's significant. But the primary definition, if we were talking on any other word that's used commonly in some other way, we would always go to that primary definition. There are always two or three definitions, but you go to the primary one first. That's what it means. 
the Old Testament, the term Baptist, baptism and baptized, is not used. But there is this idea of circumcision that was used to show a physical, external means into the covenant community. I'll bring this up because in a minute it will play into those who speak of infant baptism. In the New Testament, you're going to find, if you were to go into the New Testament and look at all the verses, we'll cover some of them, probably not all 97 this morning. There are five baptisms in the New Testament. John's baptism, Jesus' baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 10.2 calls it baptism of Moses. Look at that. And the baptism for the dead. We'll look at that under controversies. We'll begin with John's baptism. John's baptism is pre-Pentecost. Pentecost means the, the idea of 50 days after Christ's resurrection. So Christ has risen, but before Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit would descend in between, you see all, through all of Jesus' life and up to that point, it is pre-Pentecost, and it was a baptism of three things. A baptism of repentance, a baptism by immersion, and a baptism of anticipation. It was looking to the one to come. What happened in Matthew 3, so we won't go there again, and it happens in every single gospel it is mentioned about Jesus, was Jesus identifying with, yes, I'm the one to come, and he's being baptized in water, and John's always telling other people, I baptize you with water, but one comes after me whose sandal I can't even stoop down and untie. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John's baptism was always pointing forward to the one to come. And if you look at Mark 1, I think it's Mark 1, or actually you could look at Matthew 3, 6. Matthew 3, 6. Since you're there. Matthew 3, 6, and it says, And they were being baptized by Him in the river Jordan. In the river. There's no need to go into the river if we're just going to sprinkle. You could dip your bowl in the water. You don't need to get into the river. So it's a baptism by immersion. And the key, if you'll turn to John 3, John 3, 23. This is the key verse that I think, if I were to go and do a formal debate, discussion, under the spirit of peace and the bond of unity, I would ask somebody who doesn't believe in immersion to help me with this phrase. John 3, 23. I'll start in 22. And after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptized. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because, why? Water was plentiful there. Sprinkling, you don't need a lot of water. Pouring water over the head. You don't need a lot of water. Water was plentiful there. There's no need to have plenty of water. Those are two. In the river, you don't need to get in the river if you're getting sprinkled. And you don't need plenty of water if you're not going to be immersed. Next, baptism is a baptism of anticipation. Acts 1.5, even Jesus confirms this. He says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It was a baptism looking to Christ. And then you have Jesus' baptism. 
It was after Christ had resurrected, 50 days of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down, Christ ascends into heaven, and it was after the Holy Spirit had been poured out on all who believed. Again, you're going to see a common pattern. It was a baptism of repentance, it was a baptism by immersion, and this time it was a baptism of participation. Not anticipation, but participation. You're partaking in Christ. And we're going to look at one passage in detail in a minute. A baptism of repentance. You can look at those Acts verses and it talks about repenting. They believed and were baptized. They were then immersed. You could look at Acts 10.47. Well, we'll go there. While the Spirit was, in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the Word. They hear the Word. They believe the Word. The Spirit comes in. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. It indwells the heart. Ephesians 1.14 And the believers among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. In Acts 8, you see the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. He was actually flipping through the Old Testament, reading Isaiah 53, and he says, how am I supposed to understand this? And Philip climbed up in the chariot, explains reasons with him from the Scriptures. It isn't told to us, but he says, well, shouldn't I be baptized? The idea was, Philip, who had, who had seen what had happened at Pentecost, said, This is the Jesus whom you read about. He's come. He's died. He's risen again. Repent from your sins. Believe and be baptized. Well, there's water. What what withholds us from doing that? And so they go down into the water. And the reason I won't build the argument for believers' baptism on going down into water, because theoretically you could walk down the banks, stand in the river, and then come up out of the water and never be immersed. And so I don't want to even go there because then all my infant baptism friends would say that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be immersed. Yet I would go back to the definition and then I would go back to the phrase, there was water, was plentiful there. It's a baptism of repentance. I have repented from my sins. I have done a 180. I'm walking this way, heading to straight to hell. I've done a 180. I'm now walking this way with Jesus. And I'm trying to, all my friends who are going that way, come with me. And the first step that I'm, I'm supposed to do, make disciples of all nations. So we're to go to the world. And when we're in India, when we're in Papua New Guinea, and somebody reads that and they say, I believe. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Awesome. Do you realize that you, you are now connected with Christ? You've died with Him and you've been raised to walk in newness of life. You've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer who you who lives, but Christ lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith. And so the first step, to third third level definition to identify yourself with Jesus and to picture what's going on you should be immersed in water a water baptism that is believing having received the holy spirit in the new testament it was so done so closely upon believing what has happened is people thought immediately once you believe you've got to be baptized if not that baptism is, that believing isn't significant and many a church has gone awry on that particular issue. Believe you've got to be baptized. If you don't get baptized, you really don't believe. And we've built denominations on, you've got to be baptized. Heart behind it, good. Method, bad. 
we've so attached baptism to salvation in those denominations that it's become confusing. And that's why if there are some of you in here who have not been baptized, you may have been raised in that denomination, and you may be saying to yourself, I thought it was salvation by grace alone and faith alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. It is. But as, a, as something that's happened, and here's the classic definition, and you can't, you can't argue with it, as an outward sign of an inward faith, those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ should be baptized. Number three there under Jesus is baptized. Baptism. It's because it's a baptism of participation. Galatians 3.27 says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Key word, faith. Not faith plus baptism. For as many of you were as baptized into Christ Jesus, you have put on Christ. Now, did we really put on Christ? Am I carrying Jesus around on me right now? No, it's a picture. I've been so identified with Him. And the best picture in the New Testament of why we should die with Him and rise again, that you can't get that from sprinkling, is Romans 6. And we'll go there. Romans chapter 6. Baptism is a serious issue. Baptism is a significant issue, and the significance is because it shows the world publicly that I am identifying myself with Jesus. Romans 6, and then I'll tell you the story of baptism in my life and my wife's life. Romans 5 ends with this, Therefore, as one trespass, one trespass, led to the condemnation of all men. Adam. Thank you. Our federal head, because he and Eve transgressed the law. Interesting. Did you know Tiger Wood used that term transgressed in his public confession? For as, as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. And I have some people in this congregation who quote to me all that all the time. Where sin increases, doesn't grace abound? And I always quote to them, yes. Six, verse 1, what shall we say then? Are you to continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. By no means. Meganoita, no. That's the scandal of grace. If you've really been affected by the gospel, you won't want to sin because you will realize this is what I've been saved from and to. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Key two verses. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried with Him therefore by baptism into death in order, as, in order that as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. There's the picture. That's why we immerse people. When you go under, and we will practice this here, If you have not been, I will hold your nose or you can hold it yourself. And we will go under. And I will quote these verses. Let's, you've been baptized? Okay. So we'll use him since he's been, Dax has been baptized. (laughs) Right? You got to get your illustration right. He'd probably kneel down because it would help me. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having died with him, you're raised now to walk in newness of life. And it's a picture of that death with, with Christ immersed, 
raised by God's grace to walk in newness of life. And you know what's so great about that picture? Is you can't baptize yourself. You can't baptize yourself. I mean, I guess if you were on an island, hypothetically, let's know somebody's going to argue this. On an island, you're uh, Tom, uh, Tom Hanks. Yes, yes. Cast away, get away, whatever that is. Get your volleyball. The volleyball can't do it, so I guess then maybe find a Bible, read, I, I need to be baptized, hold your nose, do it yourself. Okay. But throughout history, even those who do infant baptisms and sprinklings, you can't baptize yourself. Because the picture is, we are not saved by ourselves. Somebody outside of us comes in and saves us. It's a beautiful picture. It's a picture of grace. It's a picture of grace. Baptism in Paul's theology, there you have it in Romans 1. And this is the clear, to me, John 3.23 is the clearest biblical or textual argument of why do you need plenty of water if you are just to be sprinkled. The best theological argument or the best picture for it is Romans 6, 1 through 4. Death, resurrection. Best picture. It's a picture. Nonetheless, it You cannot be baptized and still be saved. For it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But it's a beautiful picture. Right? I'm married, right? How do you know that I'm married? What's one sign that I'm married? Am I still married? Really? I am married. And this is a picture, right? Lord willing, I'll get to do a wedding in here, in here or somewhere someday folks of Eagle Bible Church. And I'll say, this is a picture. That happens maybe every time I step over there. So I'll just stay over here. It's a picture. It's a sign of God's covenant. It's a sign of the covenant we're making. And it's unending. And it's of precious metal because this is a precious covenant. It's a picture. And so whoever has this ring and some best man will hand it to me and I'll do my best not to drop it and I'll get this one. It's a picture. Put it on the fingers. It's a sign to the world that these two people are married. But the difference between the picture of the ring, just a sign of the marriage, and that of baptism is there are some people who don't wear rings. And that's okay. There are some, for some reasons, for either uh, work reasons or convictions or whatever, they don't wear a ring. Because they're not commanded to wear the ring. But you're commanded to be baptized. Unfortunately, 1 Corinthians, it became a source of division. It did. People were being named and being baptized in the name of Apollos, in the name of Paul, in the name of Peter, and then the holy ones, right? The holy ones, they were being baptized in the name of Christ. So Paul writes to the troubled church of Corinthian, of the Corinthians, and says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no divisions among you. But you, you be united in the same mind with the same judgment. For there has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you, and here's how he identifies so closely, baptism as a picture of what was going on in your heart. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. 
So it is an identification. Amen. Go and baptizing them. Who are you identifying with? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's also immersion. I did baptize also. He, he checks himself. It's funny. I wonder how he's writing this. Oh, yeah, I forgot. And he didn't, he couldn't erase it. He didn't have the little, you know, paper made eraser. So he just adds a little print. I didn't baptize the household of, I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. And here's the key verse for those of you who, who think baptism is necessary for salvation. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied. That is why we do not add baptism as a work to your believing, because it lessens the cross of Jesus Christ. However, I will say this, it is a serious issue. And if you have not been baptized, you are walking in blatant disobedience to the Scriptures. The theology that we get, oh, and then the last one for Paul, um, there, it, here's the, the idea of where the, our friends, I call them that, because I have plenty of them, who see baptism as a given to infants. Paul says in Colossians 2.12, through faith, having been baptized... That's a great one because it talks about faith and then baptism. But why then would we baptize infants? In 2.12 it says in 11, In whom you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So it's not a physical circumcision. It's a spiritual circumcision. By putting off the body of flesh by circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, you were also raised with Him through faith. Through faith. I'm just say it like this. Infants, yes, they can hear. They can hear. But they are not at the capacity to believe. So having heard and believed, ergo, therefore, they can't have faith and should not be baptized. That's the logic I would follow. The other arguments for that would be, and we'll get to that in just a minute. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Finally, Paul spoke of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This happens to everyone. Ephesians 1 is the best two verses on this. 1, 13 and 14. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, you hear it with your ears. The gospel of your salvation. You hear it, and then it says next phrase after that, and you believed Him. To hear, believe, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of His glory. If you have truly believed in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. God doesn't go back on His down payments. Titus 3, starting in verse 4, But when the, kindness, when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. How? How did God save us? Titus 3, verse 5. By the washing, the baptism, of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So the theology that I draw from this is number one, it's an ordinance because it's Christ's command. Two, it is an expression of our union through immersion. It is a picture, a beautiful beautiful. Has the beautiful picture become ugly throughout church history? Yes. But it's a beautiful picture of your salvation. 
It is the identity. There's that third level definition of the, with the Trinity. It's done in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's to show you God selected you, that Ephesians passage, for the foundation of the world. He chose you in Him, that you should be holy and blameless before Him in love. That Christ sacrificed you. Ephesians uh, goes on to say Christ redeemed us and He purchased us. And it goes on, as we just read, that the Holy Spirit sealed us. We identify with this Trinitarian God who is the author and the executor and the architect, all of that, of our faith. And finally, I believe it's a blessing for believers. That the Scriptures are very silent. All the Scriptures I've read and those in Acts, if you were to read them, don't speak of infant baptism. They speak of hearing the Word, believing the Word, and then being baptized. They speak of repentance and be baptized. Infants can't repent. They don't know how. I assure you that there are one-year-olds that don't know how to repent. What happens is, and I love these guys, they want to hold to the continuity of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. They said, you had circumcision that brought you into the covenant community. You had Passover to celebrate your, the, the, the passing through the waters. And we're still God's people. And I agree with that. They would say so much so that we've replaced Israel. I don't agree with that. Ergo, therefore, baptizing infants is, is the replacement of circumcision. See, Colossians 2.12 tells me that. And we do the Lord's Supper. Sounds good. It's not sound. Scripturally. You're taking a great idea and you're taking it a step too far. They would say, yes, but Cornelius got baptized in all his household. All his household. There had to be infants in the household. Really? R.C.? Really? How do you know that? That's a, that's a strong argument from silence. The whole household? And, but every single one of those verses. So I'll give you a handout. Go back and look at Acts. Hearing, believing. Hearing, believing. And the whole household... My logical deduction was everybody in the household who can hear and believe understood, trusted, and was baptized. I don't think it said whole household, ergo, therefore, we baptize the infants. It's a strong argument from silence. Where does this idea of infant baptism come from? Well, let's look at church history. Up into the third century, you can't even start to talk about this, so we're going to say... Baptisms were done by believers dipped in water. Here's how the early church did it. They took it very seriously. There was a 40-day catechism, a teaching. Somebody was taught, you've believed in Jesus. Do you realize you're identifying? You're separating yourself from all of this polytheism, this paganism, and you're following the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they taught them. And they did it on Easter Sunday. They wanted it to be a big to-do, a celebration, a picture. Christ died and He rose and so we have people who today are identifying themselves. They've died and they've rose. And they took it. And see, I think the early church, they took it that it had to be done in living water. So we've got to go to the Eagle River, right? It had to be in living water because the Bible talks about living water. And then if we couldn't find living water, then we'll go to a pond or a lake. And if we can't do that, then we'll bring it inside. They had the hierarchy. But Tertullian, thank you, wrote on it about the third century. Had a, had a work called On Baptism, and here he's refuting, refuting infant baptism. 
At this time, this idea of baptismal regeneration, that when you baptize, then you are saved, that's coming into play. And so he's writing against it. And, at, and you can see this in works. I've read the book of Confessions, and you can see it. Augustine's mother didn't want Augustine to be baptized because at that time they thought once you got baptized, all your past sins were washed away, but then you had to be good and do all the sacraments thereafter. And what you got here is Augustine's mother didn't want him to be baptized until he got through his high school years so he could kind of have all the fun and then he would be washed clean and would have the sense to to live differently. It's in in confessions. And also at this time, there's high infant mortality rate. And so because this had become such a strong belief for some, let's baptize them, we know they're going to heaven, I would argue from other verses that infants... Go to heaven. The kingdom belongs to such as these little children. Uh, I will not go to him, but he, uh, he will, or he will not come to me, but I will go to him. Second Samuel. I would, I would say those are good texts, right? Not that they had to be baptized, and that was the magic formula that that, that diminishes the work of Jesus on the cross. And so this became D, a normal practice of the church. And some would argue that C. Because it hadn't been talked about up until these three centuries, infant baptism was just as common as believer's baptism, to which I would say, no, usually in church history, if we were to follow it pretty closely, when we had the Donatus controversy and all these other controversies, was Christ fully God or fully man? Or did he, did he really die or was he, did it was an illusion? Uh, those writings came about when the issue came about. So I would assume it nothing I would assume logically nothing's happening on infant baptism until about then when we're seeing the high infant mortality rate we believe in baptismal regeneration and so Tertullian says no 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 believers baptism. The idea that why this is stuck is Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and those that we love the Protestants the protesters against the Roman Catholic Church were not trying to break away from the church totally. They were trying to reform from within. So they didn't even address this issue. Their key issue was salvation, as we've said before, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So they didn't even address the issue. Thus, John MacArthur could say they were wrong, biblically. Not because John MacArthur knows more than they do. John MacArthur loves Calvin and Zwingli and Luther. But he would say, biblically, it's not there. And that wasn't their key issue. To which somebody would say, well, if church history has done it for so long, shouldn't that be guidance for us to go in the future? Well, I'm sure glad Martin Luther didn't use that logic. Because for so long, we had gotten away from salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and salvation through works of penance and the sacraments. And so, when there were men who saw a need for believer's baptism, they were called Anabaptists. And they died for what we preach. It's serious. How about the controversies? Does water baptism save you? Answer, no. Oh, but Judd, I've read those Acts verses. And I know Acts 2.38 says, Acts 2.38, Judd, I know. I've seen it. I've read it. And it says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. I would say Greek is not the same as English. So when Peter's or when Luke's writing this, he's not having to go and as we Westerners think, just linear order. And Greek did not have punctuation marks. 
And so I, if I were Peter, would have been not Peter, uh, Luke. And if I were to use a punctuation mark, I would say, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, comma, for the forgiveness of sins. You repent for your forgiveness of sins. And we could walk through all the texts that talk about repent for the forgiveness of sins. And being baptized was closely associated with it. But then you would say, I've also read First Peter. I've also read it. And First Peter 3 is a pretty clear one. For Christ, verse 18, also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they now formally did not obey, when God's patience, and here's the key, waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely. They were brought safely through the water. Here's the verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds, corresponds to this, now saves you. But here's the explanation. Not as the removal of dirt. It's not a physical act. But it's the appeal to a good conscience. What it's saying there is, when you get baptized, this is a significant issue. You're saying, my inward faith, I'm now showing it through an outward expression. Baptism doesn't now save you in a sense that it adds to. And that's why when we do teachings like this, we've got to collect all the verses. There's Ephesians, there's more verses in Acts, those who heard the word and believed, and then they received baptism. There is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever should believe in Him. Had John 3.16 said, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in Him and be baptized shall be with Him forever. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 said it's first by grace through faith in your baptism that you are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then this verse, I'd say you need to repent and be baptized because it's both. But it doesn't say that. All throughout the Gospel of John, it's those who believed, those who believed. But that doesn't take away the seriousness of baptism. What was the baptism of Moses? You can look up those verses. It was the idea that as Noah rose above the water, Moses, they, what did they do to be, what were they doing when they came out of Egypt? They walked through water. So it was the baptism of Moses. It was, it was the salvation that came through the water. What about infant baptism? To me, in the New Testament, it's not there. We never see it preached, baptize those infants. It's always a believer being baptized. Their appeal is to Old Testament continuity and church history. To their credit, so I give this with a, a spirit of peace and unity. To their credit, there are churches there that will baptize believers, adult believers, and also baptize, baptize infants of believing families. So I would just say you don't need to do that second thing. Where do, what do we do as a church family? Here are two statements on it. We believe baptism to be a ceremony, celebration, we want to do this, in which a believer is immersed in water and raised from the water, signifying publicly one's personal trust in Christ alone as his or her Lord and Savior and adoption into God's family. So you still get all the necessity of the picture but without all the confusion that comes with it, and you're coming into a family. More on that next week, church membership. 
We do not believe baptism to be a sacrament, a means of grace, in a sense that if you do this, you have more grace than than if you did not do this. Nor an ordinance in which infants are sprinkled with water in hopes that they trust Christ through their being part of the covenant community. It just offers confusion. You've been here. We did this when we had the sanctuary turned the other way. We had a baby dedication. And we need to do this again. We'll line up those parents up here. And we say, we are dedicating these babies. Very similar to the ceremony that goes on in those churches. Is We are dedicating these babies to this church family that we're, we're covenanting together to raise these kids. But you did not see me walk past them. and That would just be confusing. They can hear? Yes. He can hear. Can he believe? No. There are scriptures that say, before he knows enough to either do good or evil. He doesn't know enough. So, what time is it? I forgot my watch. Okay, i got five minutes. Here's my walk with Jesus. I came to know the Lord at age 14. I was hanging around my house one day, and I, my mother, who was raised Baptist, never pressured me to do it. I said, you know what? I need to be baptized. It was just a conviction on my heart. The Holy Spirit laid it on my heart. I went to the guy that I had shared the gospel with me, and he was a pastor, and he actually baptized me. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he did Romans 6. I did Romans 6. My wife. Guess what just happened to her? She was raised Methodist. Sprinkled as a baby. Came to know the Lord, walking with the Lord all her life, gets married to the Baptist. So what do I do? I say, honey, I'm a Baptist. And you need to be baptized. I said, sweetie, I love you. And I want to spend the rest of my life with you. But you, I didn't even, it wasn't even in there. It wasn't even those, those five things that I have to have before we get married. We got married. I knew what had happened we, when we'd come across these passages. I'd say, it seems to me it needs to be immersion, not sprinkling. And I just left it. And I allowed the Spirit to work through the text on her heart. And one day, at the ministry I oversaw back in Denton, we were going to do a baptism, and she came up to me and she goes, will you baptize me? I said, yeah. It was awesome. To be able to baptize my wife by immersion as a participation of repentance, she shared her test. This is what we had. All of them would climb into the pool. It wasn't living water. The early church wouldn't like that. They would share their testimony. I once was lost, but now I'm saved. Was blind, but now I see. Or whatever they did. And there's my wife. So pretty. I wanted to smooch her. My sister. I now baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I was real quick. I didn't hold her under. Raised with you. Raised with him to walk in newness of life. So my wife is a testimony of one who was sprinkled and then got baptized by immersion because her conviction was that's what the Bible teaches. So what do we do with this? You just teach on it and then move on and then no, some of you are thinking, well, when are we going to have our baptisms? First, let me address the individual aspect. If you have been baptized through immersion as a sign of your outward sign of your inward faith, I hope you see that wasn't just a hoop you jumped through. It was your first step. It was identifying with the Trinity. And I hope you're, you're more convinced and comforted of what you've done. If you have not been baptized at all, 
you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, you need to be baptized by immersion. And if you've been baptized in an infant, I would just encourage you to consider, this is why you get a handout, to consider, read through the text carefully. Hear the word, believe the word, and they got baptized. Corporately, I would love to do our first baptism sometime this spring, but I need help. I don't know where to go. I'm not so bought into the fact it has to be in living water, so it's cold, the Eagle River's cold. Uh, Sylvan Lake would be kind of fun. I don't never swam in Sylvan Lake. It could be cold too. We've got the Eagle Pool. We've got the Gypsum Rec Center. We've got there are homes I've heard. We just need some help. I would like to do it. We've taught on it. We want to practice it. We don't just want to teach on it. Just let it sit. So if you have ideas, we want to make it a celebration, a ceremony in the spring for those of you who, in here who feel through the text and the power of the Holy Spirit, not my presentation, but through the text and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what? I was either baptized as an infant or I've never been baptized. I'd love to do that. If, you, if that's you, come see me. I'll get your name down and we'll keep you up to date. And that would be something that I'd love everybody to go to, not just a secret baptism. Although that happens. Philip, We don't know who was there with Philip and, and the Ethiopian eunuch. Amen? It's a picture. picture of, it's a beautiful picture. It's been abused in the past. We don't want to abuse it, but we definitely want to get it right. And if you notice, great art, Francesca, bad theology. Father, we thank you that you not only want us to hear your word, but you've given us, especially two, pictures of your grace. Lord, you teach us in Romans 1, that we can look to the creations and see your invisible attributes, your strength, your power, your glory. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare. They publicly announce your glory. The stars and the mountains, the sun and the, the moon. Father, we want to honor the picture that your son modeled for us, commanded us, and gave to us to enjoy to celebrate our salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so it's in His name that we pray. Amen.